نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له اشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and ask for His forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that He has no partners. And I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger. Uh, we would like to begin our discussion this evening. I think it is uh, lecture number 10, insha'Allah, from the explanation of Al-Aqidah Tahawiyah, the Islamic creed or Islamic faith or beliefs as uh, transmitted from the great Imam Abu Ja'far al-Tahawi rahimahullah uh, in his book that's known throughout the Muslim world today as Al-Aqidah al-Tahawiyah and as we mentioned so many times Al-Aqidah al-Tahawiyah is one of the summarized explanations of the Islamic creed which has been accepted by Muslims throughout the world. Although Al-Imam Al-Tahawi was a Hanafi scholar in fiqh, yet the scholars of all of the madahib of fiqh, yani generally the scholars of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, praised his book and it was spread throughout the Muslim world and many scholars did explanations of it, lengthy explanations. The most important of them is the explanation by Ibn Abi Al-Izz. And we are sometimes referring to that explanation, but usually we are referring to the brief explanation of Dr. Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman al Khumayis and some of the commentary of Sheikh Abdulaziz ibn Abdul uh, Sheikh Abdulaziz ibn Abdul ibn Baz, Hafidhullah, or Sheikh Muhammad Nasruddin al Albani, Hafidhullah. So today we would like to just quickly review the points that we uh, explained last week from point number 35 and then take it from there with the coming uh, points. And Imam Tahawi, rahimahullah, says in point number 35, That the vision or the seeing Allah by the believers or the people of paradise on Yawm Qiyamah, it is indeed true, it is a fact. But without ihata, yani not with total, totally comprehending Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah is beyond the full or total comprehension of the human being. And we believe in this and say that it is true without saying how. How will be that ru'ya, how we will see him, that's, that's known only to Allah. Then he says, this is so, كَمَا نَطَقَ بِهِ كِتَابُ رَبِّنَا This is just as it is mentioned in the book of our Lord, subhanahu wa ta'ala, وُجُوهُ يَوْمَئِذٍ نَاظِرَةٍ إِلَىٰ رَبِّهَا نَاظِرَةٍ 
that faces on that day يعني on يوم القيامة will be ناظرة they will be bright and shining يعني shining from looking at the brightness of the face of Allah سبحانه وتعالى إلى ربها ناظرة they will be looking looking at their Lord this is in Surah Al-Qiyamah chapter 75 verse 22 and 23 and then Imam Tahawi says and the explanation of this the tafsir of this ayah is as Allah wanted it to be or intended it to be and according to his knowledge the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وكل ما جاء في ذلك من الحديث الصحيح عن الرسول صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وسلم فهو كما قال يعني in everything that has been transmitted to us from the authentic hadith from the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم then it is as he said it is ومعناه على ما أراضه and its meaning should be understood as he intended it ولا ندخل في ذلك متأولين بآرائنا ولا متوهمين بأهوائنا and we shouldn't try to explain make ta'awil of these things according to our own opinion nor imagine it to be other than what it really is because of our desires we want to change the meaning or reinterpret something فإنه ما سلم من دينه إلا من سلم لله عز وجل ولرسوله صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وسلم ورد علم مشتبه عليه إلى عالمه and this is a very important principle that Imam Al-Tahawi mentions here and we discussed it in more detail last week but it's important that we repeat this that verily no one will be safe in his deen except the one who surrenders and submits himself to Allah the mighty and the majestic and to the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and they return or refer the knowledge of those things that are not clear to them whatever is not understood by you then you refer it back to alimihi yani the one who knows it the one who is the knower of such that is to the book of Allah and to the sunnah of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and that which has been transmitted by the scholars from amongst the sahaba and those who follow their way uh, also, Imam Tahawi says in point number 36, وَلَا تَثْبُتُوا قَدَمُ الْإِسْلَامِ إِلَّا عَلَى ظَهْرِ التَّسْلِيمُ وَالْإِسْتِسْلَامِ And this is the continuation of this important principle that we should not try to re-explain or interpret or distort or change the meanings of those things that came to us from the Qur'an and from the Sunnah that we should take them just as they are. He said that no one will be firm or secure in his religion, in his Islam, except that that person يعني, submits and surrenders their self. على ظهري التسليم والاستسلام Surrendering completely. Submission. فمن رام علم ما حضر عنه علمه ولم يقنع بالتسليم فهمه حجبه مرامه عن خالص التوحيد وصافي المعرفة والصحيح الإيمان. so that whoever seeks the knowledge which has been prohibited for him, يعني that knowledge which is prohibited for the human being that Allah kept exclusively for Himself, especially those things related to the unseen and the hereafter and to the nature of Allah's يعني running or or يعني controlling the universe his rububiyah the things related to the lordship of Allah over the universe that is not known to the human beings that he didn't reveal to the prophets or the messengers 
than whoever seeks such knowledge that has been prohibited and they are not satisfied to submit their understanding to that which Allah and His Messenger has said then their de- desiring or seeking such knowledge will be the means to prevent them and to prohibit them and to keep them from attaining the purity of the understanding of the Tawheed and the, and the purity of the knowledge of Allah or the, or the correct knowledge of Allah and the correct and authentic يعني, or complete or perfect Iman or faith then he says and then this person who does such يعني, who doesn't submit herself then he said then that person will be going back and forth undecidedly between al-kufr and iman between disbelief and belief between affirming or confirming the truth and denying it and between يعني, confirming or accepting and rejecting muwaswasan ta'ihan shakan za'ihan yani that person would be in this condition uh, subject to the whisperings or suggestions of their of the shaitan or from their self in doubt and deviating or slipping between that which is correct and incorrect la mu'minan musaddiqan wa la hajidan aw jahidan mukadhiban لا مؤمنا مصدقا يعني they would not be a believer who really confirms the truth totally ولا جاهدا مكذبا no one who denies the truth يعني or all of it who denies the truth completely and they would be in between this and that so that it is important here that we do not find ourselves in such condition of those people who are undecided and who don't stand firmly on the correct way that we should submit ourselves and surrender our understanding to that which Allah has offered to us in the Quran and that and the explanations of such from the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam also Imam Tahawi goes on to say in, in relation to the Ru'ya or the seeing of Allah on Yawm Qiyamah and how it should be understood and how we apply this principle of submitting ourselves to that which has come to us without trying to uh, interpret it or to give it some meaning based on our own desires or that which we want he says here وَلَا يَصِحُّ الْإِيمَانُ بِالرَّأْيَ لِأَهْلِ دَارِ السَّلَامِ لِمَنْ اِعْتَبَرَهَا مِنْهُمْ بِوَهْمِ يعني that one's faith in the seeing of Allah on Yawm Qiyamah that the people of Dar al-Salam, the people of Paradise would see Allah on Yawm Qiyamah that their faith would not be considered correct or acceptable their faith in such a thing as long as they are يعني, allowing their imagination or their fancies or they reinterpret it according to some other understanding يعني, other than the understanding of that which is clear in the meaning of the Quran or in the Sunnah and that which is understood by every Arabic person from the clear expressions that came to us in the Quran and the Sunnah whoever gives it some other meaning other than that then this person, even if they claim to believe in it, their belief would not be correct nor would it be acceptable. Because إِذْ كَانَ تَأْوِيلَ الرُّؤْيَا وَتَأْوِيلَ كُلُّ مَعْنَا يُضَافْ إِلَىٰ الرُّبُوبِيَّةِ بِتَرْكَ تَأْوِيلَ وَالْلُزُومَ التَّسْلِينَ وَعَلَيْهِ دِينَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَدِينَ الْمُرْسَلِينَ According to some of the manuscripts, the word was here, Muslimin, and some of them wrote al-Mursaleen. 
So he says here that uh, the correct interpretation or ta'wil of these things, the ru'ya and those things related to the rububiyah or the lordship of Allah or those things that is not يعني, within the knowledge of the human beings, the correct interpretation of those things is not to interpret it at all. Yani the correct interpretation is not to interpret it, but to take it just as it is and to surrender yourself. And this is the way of the deen of the Muslimin or the deen of the Mursaleen, the Muslims or the prophets and messengers. Uh, that was the last point that we mentioned last week. And uh, here, an Imam al-Tahawi, and the next point, point number 38, <coughs> actually gives an explanation uh, that is related to a tawheed. And as we know, a tawheed, according to many of the scholars, has been divided into three aspects or three divisions. And some of them said two, and some of them said four, as we mentioned on many occasions. Perhaps the most common explanation is that it is divided into two. And all of those divisions are correct and acceptable and there is no contradiction between them if we examine them carefully. Uh, and um, here, Al-Imam Tahawi discusses a point related to one of the aspects of Tawheed. The first aspect of Tawheed is Tawheed al-Rububiyyah. And in brief, a Tawheed al-Rububiyyah or the Tawheed of Lordship is related to the actions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yani Tawheed al-Rububiyyah deals with Allah as the creator, Allah as the provider, the one who causes life and gives death, the one who controls the universe. Tawheed al-Rububiyyah, you can say in brief, is the Tawheed related to the actions of Allah. Whereas Tawheed al-Uluhiyyah or Ubudiyyah is the Tawheed related to the actions of the human beings. Because Tawheed al-Uluhiyyah or Ubudiyyah is related to the fact that the human being only gives acts of worship or offers acts of worship to Allah. That prayers, when we pray it should be for Allah. When we fast it should be for Allah. If we make a sacrifice it should be for Allah. Yani the actions of the human being that are considered acts of worship should only be offered to Allah. Allah alone. He is he has the exclusive right to these acts of worship. So the Tawheed of Ubudiyyah or Uluhiyyah, we can say it is the Tawheed related to the actions of the human being being given to Allah alone, whereas Tawheed or Rububiyyah is related to the actions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His act of creation or providing and so on. This is a, yani, a easy way to try to uh, remember them without the details. And uh, some of the scholars also mentioned uh, Tawheed al-Asma wa sifat which sometimes they, if they said it was two, two divisions, they said Asma wa sifat is under Tawheed al-Rububiyyah. Asma wa sifat yani that all of the perfect and good names and characteristics or qualities belong to Allah alone. That He is unique in possessing the perfect names and characteristics. This is Tawheed al-Asma, the names, and al-Sifat, the characteristics or qualities. This Tawheed, some of them said, is under Rububiyyah. And it is, you can say it is under the Tawheed of Rububiyyah. Or some of them divided as a separate division to explain it and discuss it in detail. As a subdivision or separate aspect of Ar-Rububiyyah and they called it Tawheed Al-Asma Wa-Sifat. So here, the Tawheed of Al-Asma Wa-Sifat, he is giving an explanation here that is coming in point number 38 that is specifically related to Tawheed Al-Asma Wa-Sifat. And we said previously that under one of the rules of Tawheed Al-Asma Wa-Sifat is an isbat that we should affirm or confirm isbat. We should affirm or confirm 
whatever Allah has affirmed for Himself, and whatever the Messenger of Allah وسلم, has confirmed for Him. We said this, we cannot negate or deny or reinterpret anything that Allah has affirmed for Himself. If Allah said that He is Ar-Rahman, who are we to deny such? If Allah said that He has a face, how can we deny it? Allah says in the Quran that He has hands, who are we to deny it? So the first principle of Tawheed al-Asma wa-Sifat is al-Isbat, to affirm whatever Allah has affirmed for Himself. But we said in the previous lecture, I think last week or the week before, that this Isbat also has some sub-principles, that it should be affirmation of whatever Allah has affirmed for Himself without tahrif, without uh, changing or distorting the meaning. Without ta'atil, without emptying it of its meaning. And he's saying that yes, Allah is Ar-Rahman, but it, we don't know the meaning of it. It doesn't have any meaning. It's just a name, Ar-Rahman, without meaning. Without tashbih, or comparing the names or characteristics of Allah to human beings or anything in the creation. And without taqyif, without saying how, or asking how. How does Allah, how is Allah's face? How does Allah have hands? What, how are His hands? Allah ascend above the throne. How does He ascend? Allah descends in the last pair of the night. How does He descend? Without these things, without making taqif, or trying to explain, or asking how is such. Because as we said that Imam Malik said in that famous statement, there is a fundamental principle for Asma wa Sifat, when he was asked about Al-Istiwa, how is Allah's ascension above the throne, as Allah mentioned in the Quran in so many places, Ar-Rahman istawa ala al-Arsh, and so many other places, that Allah ascended above the throne. Imam Malik rahimahullah said that al-istiwa is well known. Yani its meaning is known in Arabic language, what it means. Any Arab person, they know what is the meaning of istiwa. It's a common Arabic word that's known its meaning. Wal-kayf majhul. But the how of it, we don't know. Exactly how does Allah descend. We cannot explain how Allah descends. But He descends, we know it. We know what is, the, is ascension and descension in these words. He said, uh, and it is obligatory when Allah said something about Himself it is obligatory for us to have Iman or faith in that thing it is obligatory and to ask about it is innovation because the Sahaba they didn't ask how is His istiwa how is His ascension how is His dissension how is His faith how is His hands they just accepted it they said we know what, what, what is ascension what is dissension what is rahmah what is they know what the meaning of these words are, but how it is related to Allah is different. Because Allah is not like anything in the creation. So they just believed in it, and they affirmed it, and they accepted it, as it came in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Okay, this is an introduction or a summary, so that it will be clear what is about to come here. So we should follow this principle of Imam Malik, that whatever Allah affirms for Himself, and those expressions are known in Arabic language, we affirm it, it is obligatory to believe in it, we don't say how it is, and we don't ask how it is. We don't try to explain how it is, nor do we ask how it is. We just accept it as an obligation of the Islamic aqidah or creed or iman, a part of iman. Here Al-Imam Al-Tahawi rahimahullah says, وَتَعَالَى عَنَ الْحُدُودِ وَالْغَايَاتِ That Allah is far removed and high above, being limited by Al-Hudud, Boundaries or ghayat, limits. Allah cannot be put into boundaries or confined by limits. Ta'ala an al-hudud wal-ghayat. 
This means that we say that Allah is not to be described by any limitations. Allah cannot be limited by boundaries or limits. Ta'ala and al-hudud wal-ghayat wal-arkani wal-a'adai wal-adawat and also Allah He is free from being described by having al-arkan or a'adha wal-adawat yani limbs or parts of the body or organs or something like this Allah doesn't have any such thing وَلَا تَحْوِيهِ الْجِهَاتِ الْسِتِ nor is Allah confined within or surrounded by the six directions the six directions that means Allah is not confined by saying Allah is يعني, He is described by being uh, on the left or on the right in the front or the back or above or below كسائر المبتدعات يعني, as other things which are in the creation whatever Allah has brought into existence is confined and described by these six directions either it's on the right of you or the left of you or in front of you or behind you or above you or below you now there is some يعني, uh, room for some confusion in this description that Imam At-Tahawi has given here uh, because such language was not used by the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah it wasn't used by the Salaf by the Sahaba or the Tabi'een or those who came after them the Imams they didn't use such language Hudud and Ghayat and Ada and Adawat and Jihad Sitta these such words and expressions were not used to describe Allah nor to negate Allah يعني, being limited to such things they didn't use such descriptions but actually the people who used such descriptions were the people of deviation and they used these descriptions in order to escape from submitting to that which Allah has given to us or that which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam has explained to us about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, let me <coughs> begin to mention the explanation that uh, Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman al-Khumis Hafizahullah, may Allah protect and preserve him has given in this brief explanation and some of the comments of some of the other scholars concerning this point which really <coughs> might be misunderstood and taken to mean something else he says in his explanation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is high above and free from being described by boundaries or limits there is no boundary that Allah is confined to that he cannot go beyond and that does not mean though that Allah is in touch with or in contact with the creation or anything in the creation yani if you try to imagine what does it mean that Allah doesn't have any boundaries if he has no boundaries perhaps you might understand from that that Allah extends into everything then Allah is also in his creation that's not the meaning of it here it doesn't mean that it means that Allah is not confined by anything that creation is confined by because Allah is above and surrounding and greater than the whole of the creation <coughs> so the meaning is, <coughs> is not that Allah is in contact with or mixed into or part of his creation in any way but in fact Allah is completely separate from his creation completely separate and distinct from his creation 
Allah is Al-Khaliq and everything else is Al-Khalq. Allah is the creator and everything else is creation and these two things have to be separated. This is a basic principle of Tawheed that Allah is unique and distinct and separate and alone from everything and anything in the creation. So that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is free from having any limbs or body parts or such things that the human beings or the creatures have in order to function and get around in the world. Allah is free from such things as the human beings have. That the human beings use for example to get some benefit or to push away from them some harm. Allah is free from such and high above being described by these descriptions. We say this and at the same time we affirm at the same time that we deny such things, this is the explanation of what Al-Imam Ta'awi has said here and what he is trying to present. Although the language that he used is not the language of the early scholars of Islam. The Prophet didn't use such language. Not, such language is not used in the Quran. Nor the Sahaba or Tabi'een use such language. But in any case, the meaning that he intends here is the correct meaning. But the language that he used is not the best language. Uh, so we say such and at the same time we affirm that Allah has names and Allah has sifat, characteristics or qualities that have been reported to us in the Quran. But we say that the meaning of these names and characteristics are according to the reality that are indicated in those Arabic expressions. And we understand these meanings and we confirm them and affirm them for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a way that is fitting and suitable to the majesty and the glory of Allah. We cannot affirm them in any way that's not fitting to the greatness and glory of Allah. Yani by comparing them to something in the creation. This is not fitting for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <clears throat> we affirm them in the way that's suitable and fitting for Allah without saying how they are. Because the how of it is something, the knowledge of the how of it is known only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Also, the statement of Imam al-Sahawi that لا تحويه الجهات الستة كسائر المبتدعات that the six directions do not uh, confine, or Allah is not limited to the six directions that the rest of everything in the creation is limited to. Uh, the meaning of this is that we are negating that Allah is confined to or described by such things and we do not by such statement mean to say that there is no direction absolutely for Allah. We cannot say that denying the six uh, directions doesn't mean that Allah doesn't have any direction. It doesn't mean such because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for sure is above the creation. Allah is indeed above the creation. But the meaning here is that Allah is not confined or bounded by the directions that creation or created things are bounded or limited by. Here the shaykh says it would have been better. He wished, we wish that Al-Imam al-Sahawi didn't use such expressions 
as the people of philosophy and the people who deviated, the people of innovation used such expressions. But of course, we know without a doubt that he didn't mean what those people meant. His use of such expressions was يعني, an effort to refute what they were saying by using their language. Not that he is in agreement with what they are saying. No way. Because Al-Imam Al-Tahawi has expressed in clear language in his book Al-Aqidah Al-Tahawiyah and other books he has expressed in clear language his position concerning the correct understanding of these matters and particularly يعني, uh, the sifat of Allah and the names of Allah and his understanding is that he affirms such things as the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah affirmed uh, clearly without any deviation from such so it would have been better that he had avoided such expressions uh, completely um, because those expressions can be understood to mean more than one thing they might be understood in the way that the deviant people use them and they might be understood in the correct way that he intended it which is according to the understanding of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah but because there is a possibility of more than one meaning then it's better to avoid such expressions because people can take advantage of it they can say he meant this whereas, whereas if he had used clearer language then there wouldn't be any opportunity for them to make such claims the madhab of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah in such cases where this kind of language that has the possibility of more than one interpretation is used is that we our stand is that we ask for explanation we say that if the person says for example ta'ala an al-hudud wal ghayat that Allah is far removed from al-hudud and ghayat boundaries and limits if he, is in, if he intended by this that Allah is not confined and Allah is not limited by anything in the creation then this is true if that's the intended meaning that Allah is not limited or confined by anything in the creation then we say if that's the intended meaning then we agree with such and we affirm it but if the person intended by this that Allah is not high that Allah is not lofty that Allah is not above his throne if they meant by such language that Allah is not limited by any direction if they meant by that to deny that Allah is high then we say no this is unacceptable we have to look at what do you mean by this if you mean by this to say that Allah is not limited by any direction like created things are then that's true but if you mean to deny even that Allah is high above the creation then we say no this is incorrect because Allah has affirmed for himself Al-Ulu or the characteristic of being high and that he is above his throne and that he is above everything in the creation if the person means that Allah doesn't have any limbs or any body parts or organs or such things if they mean by that that the sifat of Allah like face and hands and eyes those characteristics of Allah which are not similar and cannot be compared to anything in the creation yani the face of Allah is not compared to the face of any face of, of any created thing and the hands of Allah are not like the hands of any created thing whether human or animal or otherwise and the hands of humans are not like the hands of animals the hands of birds are not like the hands of ants but they have hands and so also 
Allah affirmed for himself hands, but his hands don't have to be like human hands. Just like human hands are not like ant hands. Bird's hands are not like horse's hands. Horses have hands and feet, but they are different. Hands, it has a meaning. But its meaning when applied to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has to be in a way that's suitable and fitting to His majesty and glory and it should not be compared to anything in the creation. So if we mean by this that Allah doesn't have limbs or body parts or such things, that the characteristics of Allah that He has affirmed for Himself, which nothing in the creation are similar to Him in such, if they mean by this that uh, Allah doesn't have body parts like anything in the creation or limbs like anything in the creation then we say yes this is true then this expression is the correct expression and it's acceptable but if they mean to say that Allah doesn't have hands by this expression they mean to deny that Allah has hands or that Allah has feet or that Allah has a face or that Allah ascends or descends or that Allah is, becomes angry or that Allah is pleased or any other thing that Allah has affirmed for himself if they mean to deny such then we say no, then in that case that expression is unacceptable, it is incorrect and يعني, we don't uh, allow it. And so also يعني, the expression that Allah is not confined by the six directions, uh, if someone means by this uh, that Allah is uh, not above the creation or not above the throne then it's unacceptable, but if they mean by it that Allah is not confined by the directions as created things are confined by these, these directions then in that case it's acceptable depending on what they mean then we make a judgment or ruling on their statement is it acceptable or not acceptable but to avoid such confusion where we have to know what do you mean by this it's better to avoid such expressions then we don't find ourselves in that kind of position uh, Naam. Also, uh, concerning this, I, mean, I think it's uh, pretty clear what he has said here, but let me just quickly uh, mention, yeah, I mean, there are a number of statements of the scholars, but uh, because of the length of their statements, let me try to just summarize maybe just one of those statements, the statement of Sheikh Abdulaziz ibn Abdullah ibn Baz, and uh, the Sheikh of Muhammad, Nasruddin al-Albani uh, it's somewhat lengthy so perhaps we will skip it for now anyway Sheikh Abdul Aziz bin Baz Hafizahullah he says that this phrase or this expression that is used here by Imam al-Tahawi Rahimahullah might be used or abused or exploited if it's taken on its face value or the meaning the apparent meaning by those who are eager to twist the meaning and who go out of their way to misinterpret the names and attributes of Allah. But in reality, they have no argument or any proof because Imam Sahawi, may Allah have mercy on him, uses this expression to deny or to negate any resemblance between the Creator and His creatures. He used it only for this reason. Anyway, this brief statement needs some explanation in order to remove any doubts that might remain. By al-hudud or limits, the author means those limits which are known to human beings. Since no one except Allah himself knows his limits. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Ta'a, chapter 20, verse 110, wa khalfahum wa la That he knows what is before and after or behind them, but they 
يعني cannot comprehend him by any knowledge يعني the creatures cannot comprehend Allah by their knowledge so only Allah knows his limits those amongst the early generations of the Muslims who spoke about a limit or a had or hudud for Allah with regard to his characteristic of istiwa, of ascension those who said that there is some uh, limit for Allah's ascension they meant a limit that is known to Allah only not a limit that's known by the human beings as for the body parts or limbs or etc that's mentioned in the statement of Imam al-Tahawi he means by this that Allah is free in his divine characteristics and in his wisdom from resembling any of his creatures or anything in the creation Allah has the attributes of face and hand and foot etc but these attributes or these characteristics of his in no way resemble those of his creatures no one except Allah knows the true nature or the kafiyah or the how of these things that we affirm for him the people of innovation use such expressions in order to negate some of the attributes of Allah they use words other than those words which Allah has confirmed or Allah has used in the Quran uh, and the scholars of Islam have used they use other words than that in order to avoid being exposed by the true scholars of Islam uh, who if they were to say clearly that Allah doesn't have a hand then it would be clear that they have deviated because it's mentioned in the Quran and mentioned in the Sunnah so they use other words arkan, a'ba and things like this so they can escape being refuted this is, this is the intended meaning of using such expressions however the Shaykh or the Imam al-Tahawi rahimahullah did no doubt he didn't mean such because he holds the same belief as the Ahl Sunnah al-Jama'ah and concerning the, as the names of Allah and the characteristics of Allah whatever he says in this and these matters of his belief or his faith or his creed can be better understood by other statements of his يعني, uh, which explain uh, in one place what is said in another place similarly the saying the six directions do not surround him like the creatures or the creation are surrounded by the six directions means that the six created directions he does not mean the negation of Allah being above his creation or that Allah is established on his throne or above his throne because his position of Allah being above the throne is not covered by the six directions as he is above the universe and he is beyond the universe Allah made his servants instinctively believe that he is above them as maintained by the ijma' or the consensus of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah from amongst the Sahaba, the companions of the Prophet and their successors, the Tabi'un all of them in agreement by such and all of the evidence from the Quran and from the authentic mutawatir hadith or sunnah prove that he is in the direction above us here Sheikh Abdulaziz bin Baz Hafizahullah closed his statement by saying dear reader be alert to this point which is in fact the truth the real truth and anything else besides it is falsehood know that this is really the correct opinion and whoever says something different they have indeed deviated from the truth I hope that uh, this point is somewhat clear the main thing that we should keep in mind that we should affirm for Allah whatever he has affirmed for himself and affirm it in the language that Allah has used and in the language that the Prophet ﷺ has used and not try to re-explain it or to interpret it or to explain the how of it or to make comparisons or negation or any distortions of the meanings of those 
names or those characteristics that came in the Quran and authentic Sunnah. Uh, and finally, let me just say also, it is important to keep in mind that the scholars of Islam, not one of them have, يعني, can, we can say that they are absolutely free from error or mistake, no matter how great they may be. And it doesn't take anything from their position and our respect for them if they made an error. Because it is by consensus of the Muslims, scholars and those who are not scholars, from the first generation until today, that there is no one who is free from error after the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. There is no one who is free from error. So that means if any scholar made an error, it doesn't mean that we blame him and we reject him and we criticize him and we berate him. No. But we don't accept the mistakes of the scholars. If they made any mistake, we look for those scholars who corrected it and we take the correct opinion and we continue to accept and respect those scholars for their works even if they had any error that they may have fell into. And there's a statement of Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah that is suitable and fitting to be mentioned here. It is reported that he said, Allah an yutimma illa kitabuhu That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has refused that any book or anything should be perfect except his book. Yani there is no book that is perfect and Allah didn't allow for there to be any perfect book except his book. The book of Allah, Al-Quran. That makes us to know that perfection is only for Allah and his messenger. Yani the Prophet ﷺ, if he made any error, then Allah corrected him by revelation. So he is free from error in that sense. That we cannot expect that anything he said or anything he guided us to can be error. No way. Because as a human being, if he made any error, Allah corrects it by revelation. But after the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, everyone, every scholar, every person is expected that they should fall into some error. And this is what is agreed upon by all Muslims. So we should keep this in mind uh, so that we don't think, how can such a great scholar and his book is supposed to be so great, how can he say such a thing? if it isn't the way of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah because he is a human being like every other human being and he is not perfect like every other human being now Imam Al-Tahawi goes on to a new topic and the topic is Al-Mi'raj he says in point number 39 وَالْمِعْرَاجُ حَقٌ وَقَدْ أُسْرِيَا مِنْ نَبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَعَلَىٰ آلِهِ وَسَلَّمْ وَعُرِجَ بِشَخْصِهِ فِي الْيَقَضَى إلى السماء ثم إلى حيث شاء الله من العلا من العلا وأقرمه الله بما شاء وأوحى إليه ما أوحى as Allah said in the Quran in Surah Al-Najm chapter 53 verse 11 ما كذب الفؤاد ما رأى فصلى الله عليه وسلم في الآخرة والأولى والمعراج حق ذا معراج أو the ascension of, of the Prophet ﷺ to the seven heavens, it is haq, it is true, it is a fact. وَقَدْ أُسْرِيَ بِالنَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ And Allah in fact did take the Prophet ﷺ in a journey, a night journey from Mecca to Jerusalem. وَعُرِجَ بِشَخْصِهِ 
And he was taken up in his person. Yani, not only spiritually, but physically, while he was awake, in a awake state to the heavens. Then he was taken to that place or to wherever Allah desired for him to be taken from the heights of the heavens. And Allah honored him with what he willed and revealed to him that which he revealed as confirmed in Surah Al-Najm that the heart did not lie in that which it saw it is confirmed that in fact he saw what he saw so may the salat and salam of Allah be upon the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the next life as well as in this life. Uh, <coughs> here, the Shaykh Muhammad al-Khumis says, Al-Mi'raj, it means Al-Mif'al, min al-Uruj, wa huwa al-Sa'ud, it means going up, going up. Wal-Mi'raj, and this word Al-Mi'raj, it is the instrument التي يصعد فيها يعني that the person ascends through it or ascends by it and that's why some of the translators translated as stairway or staircase or ladder or something like this Al-Mi'raj is the instrument by which the person ascends in any case the meaning here is that Allah يعني, took the Prophet ﷺ in the Isra, the night journey from Mecca to Jerusalem and then he took him in the ascension from the earth to the seven heavens uh, here the Shaykh says the Ahl Sunnah Jama'ah confirm for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam this ascension to the heavens in his يعني, person, his being, his body as well as his spirit. And that was the night يعني, the night journey when he traveled in the night. And this Isra or the night journey is confirmed by the Quran and it is confirmed by the Sunnah and by the consensus or ijma of the Muslims. It was from Mecca to Bayt al-Maqdis, that is to Jerusalem, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Isra, chapter 17, verse 1, Subhanallah asra bi'abdihi laylan min al-masjid al-harami in al-masjid al-aqsa. That Allah subhanahu, yani that Allah is great and glorified and free from any imperfection, we confirm his perfection and negate for him any imperfection. That one, he is Allah, who took his servant, Abdihi, in the night, Laylan, in a journey, from Al-Masjid Al-Haram, that is from Mecca, from Masjid Al-Haram in Mecca, ila Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa, to the Masjid Al-Aqsa in Jerusalem. Uh, and in that place, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam led
in the congregation of the prophets of the past who preceded him he led them in the prayer as the Imam of the Anbiya the leader or the Imam of the Anbiya uh, also Al-Mi'raj or the ascension is confirmed the ascension to the heavens by spirit and by body physically as he ascended to the seventh heaven and he was he reached the place Sidratul Muntaha uh, that place where there is Jannatul Ma'awa the garden of Ma'awa or the paradise of abode or the, or the permanent paradise or the lasting paradise here uh, the confirmation of such came in the Quran in Surat, uh, Surat Al-Najm where uh, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions uh, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was taught يعني علمه شديد القوة by the angel Jibreel and he goes on to say in this description that فَكَانَ قَابَ قَوْثَيْنِ أَوْ أَدْنَى يعني he was as close as the length of a bow or two bows length فَأَوْحَى إِلَى عَبْدِهِ مَا أَوْحَى then Allah revealed to his servant that which he revealed the revelation came to him in that place مَا كَذَبَ الْفُؤَادُ مَا رَأَى that the heart was not يعني lying in that which it saw أَفَتُمَارُونَهُ عَلَى مَا يَرَى do you dispute and debate with him about that which he saw وَلَقَدْ رَآهُ نَزْلَةً أُخْرَى that definitely he saw him in another descent that is he saw the angel Jabril another time in, the, in that place عِنْدَ صِدْرَةُ الْمُنْتَهَى يعني at the place of the low tree at the furthest boundary the place after which no one can pass عِنْدَهَا جَنَّةُ الْمَعْوَى at the place where there is the Jannah of Al-Ma'wa here this is the confirmation of the ascension of the Prophet ﷺ to the seven heavens and to the Sidratul Muntaha the furthest low tree after which no one can pass and even the Prophet ﷺ continued further leaving Jibril behind where Allah addressed him and where Allah revealed to him what he revealed and also in that occasion the five obligatory prayers were made obligatory on the Muslims which is an indication of the great importance of the Salat here the Shaykh says that Allah honored him by what he willed and from amongst those things that Allah honored him with was that he spoke to him without any in-between yani not through the angel Jibreel or through any intercessor or in between but Allah spoke to him directly and this is one of the great honors that have been given to the Prophet of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and also of those things that he was honored with was his ascension to that place which no one else had reached none of the creatures before him had went to such a place and also Allah's conversation with him and allowing him to see some of the things the conditions of the paradise and the hellfire and the Prophet ﷺ in some of the lengthy hadith described what he saw in the paradise and what he saw in the hellfire and this is a proof 
of the existence of the paradise and the hellfire, not that it will be created later, but it is already created and waiting for its inhabitants, those who will yani, be put in each of those places, and also that Allah legislated for him the five prayers that the Muslims have to perform in the day and the night. And the heart of the Prophet ﷺ was not lying in what he saw. In fact, all of what he saw, he saw with the eyes in his head. Yeah, a real vision, not a dream. It wasn't a vision or a dream, but he actually saw those things, whatever he saw uh, in his ascension and whatever Allah showed him. And this was to honor and to glorify and to exalt the position of the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ above the other prophets and also to show his high position sallallahu alayhi wasallam above the others and all of these things that happened in this blessed night uh, which have been passed on or transmitted to us through authentic hadith should be confirmed and they are confirmed and found in the authentic books of al-Bukhari and Muslim in so many so many narrations Uh, perhaps we will try to take one more point before closing. Closing, Imam Tahawi here goes to another point, and this point is related to the matters of the Yawmul uh, Akhirah, the last day. It is the belief that is confirmed by the Quran and by the Sunnah and by the consensus of the Muslims. It is Walhaudu الذي أكرمه الله تعالى به غياثا لأمته حق الحوض ها الكوثر الحوض which I don't know how to uh, translate but some said the pool or the pond or whatever uh, perhaps some even said the river because uh, it is connected to الكوثر the river in paradise الحوض which الذي أكرمه الله تعالى به which Allah has honored him by it Allah has honored the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم by this حوض غياثا لأمته as a يعني, rescue or quenching of the thirst of his ummah it is in fact حق it is true it is fact there is no doubt about it here Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman al-Khumis Hafizullah says it has been confirmed from the Prophet ﷺ the existence of Al-Hawd that the people would go to to drink water from. In fact, the hadith, the ahadith are mutawatira concerning Al-Hawd, the pond or the fountain or the whatever, drinking place. It is confirmed by a hadith mutawatira, as so many of the scholars of hadith have mentioned, and we said that hadith mutawatira are those hadith which came by innumerable chains of narratives uh, such that no one would have any doubt about their authenticity and there is no way possible that they could have been invented or some people came together and agreed because the narrations and the narratives of those hadith are too many for us to doubt their authenticity or correctness uh, and those hadith which are so many most of them are narrated in al-Bukhari and Muslim uh, in summary, what those hadith explain to us or report to us is that the Hawd of Allah is Azim. It is a very great fountain or pool or pond. 
and its water comes from Al-Jannah يعني from Al-Kawthar the Nahr in Jannah its water is whiter than milk and it is sweeter than honey its scent or its smell is better than or purer than musk or sweet smelling scent or perfume its length and its width is equal from any side of it to another side of it is the distance that one travels in a month the distance of traveling from one side to another side of that Haud, the fountain or pond is one month's journey its drinking vessels are like the stars in the sky yani the number of drinking vessels are equal to the number of stars in the sky this is the drinking place of the Ummah of Muhammad how big is it? how many drinking vessels does it have? how sweet is it? how pure is it? sweet smelling, tasting uh, and not only that but whoever drank from it even one drink they would never be thirsty thereafter this is some of what may be summarized from the many narrations authentic narrations that came to us from the Prophet also it is the greatest fountain on Yawm Qiyamah and the sweetest and the one who would have the most people coming to it as it is reported in some hadith some of them uh, having some slight defects but there is a uh, authentic narration that's reported mursal that means it has a break in it but it is at least going back to Al-Hasan al-Basri authentically reported uh, and in some narrations which have slight weaknesses also reported to the Prophet that inna likulli nabiyin hawd that every Prophet would have a drinking fountain or pond that his people would come to to drink from on Yawm Qiyamah but the greatest of them would be the hawd of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the last of the messengers and prophets uh, that this uh, fountain would be to quench the thirst of the followers of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qiyamah and it is a يعني, bounty or favor that Allah has given to his prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that he has honored him by it and he has given him prefer- preference through it over the rest of the prophets may Allah make us or allow us or admit us to be from the people of the Haud of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam those who would drink from it on that day the Shaykh Muhammad Nasruddin al-Albani in his commentary uh, after this brief explanation of Shaykh, of, uh, Shaykh uh, Muhammad here he says that the hadith concerning this thing is mutawatir the, hawd, the hadith concerning it is mutawatir and many of the scholars of hadith such as Al-Hafiz ibn Kathir and Al-Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalani and Imam Al-Nawawi and so many others Ibn Abdul Bar all of them agreed that it is Mutawatir and those hadith have been collected through many reports and many of their chains of narratives by Al-Hafiz Ibn Kathir in the end of his book of history and Nihaya in that book he collected those narrations by their many reports and also Al-Hafiz Ibn Abi Asim in his, in his book Kitab Al-Sunnah made seven chapters seven whole chapters containing the narrations of hadith about al-hawd and at the end of it he said that the narrations about such which we have mentioned here concerning the hawd of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam 
require and confirm without any doubt that it is a fact which no one يعني, can question. Uh, also, Al-Hafiz ibn Hajar Askanani quotes Al-Qurtubi, Al-Imam Al-Qurtubi in his explanation of Muslim. Al-Hafiz is transmitting the words of Al-Qurtubi in his explanation from Muslim. Al-Hafiz mentions these words that Al-Qadi'iyyat uh, said similarly as Al-Qurtubi said that uh, among the things that are necessary for every responsible person to know and to believe in is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has singled out his Prophet Muhammad sallallahu with the Hawd whose name and whose characteristics and whose drink have been made clear in the well-known and authentic hadith the sum total of which provide certain and definite knowledge al-ilm al-qata'i about which there is no doubt since such ahadith have been reported from the Prophet sallallahu by more than 30 companions and in the two Sahihs, Al-Bukhari and Muslim, over 20 companions reported such hadith in Bukhari and Muslim. And in, the other, and in other books other than Al-Bukhari and Muslim, the remainder of the companions reported these hadith, and their transmission is authentic, and their reporters are well known. Then in a similar, a similar number of the Tabi'een also reported these hadith, and after them, multiple, many, many, many people reported them. Uh, and there's much more to be said about Al-Hawd, but uh, in any case, the important thing that we should keep in mind, the final point that I want to make, which is yani, very important, is the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam reported in al-Bukhari. He said, "Ana faratukum al-hawd." I will be the one who proceeds you to the pond or to the fountain. I will be proceed you to prepare the drink for you on that day when people will be thirsty. Wala yurfa anna rijalun minkum. Then some people will be brought forth from amongst you, from the Ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam from لَيُخْتَلُ جُنَّةِ دُونِي Then they will be pushed away from me فَأَقُولُ يَا رَبِّ أَصْحَابِي Then I would say, these are my followers فَيُقَالُ Then it will be said إِنَّكَ لَا تَدْرِي مَا أَحْدَثُ بَعْدَكَ That you don't know the things that they invented and add it to your religion after you. This is very important to keep in mind that of the characteristics of, of the Hawd or that which is made known to us about the Hawd is that there will be some people who invented or innovated or made new things in the religion and those people even though they had the signs of the Ummah of Muhammad, the characteristics such that the Prophet ﷺ said these are my people, these are my followers but yet they would be prevented from approaching the Hawd or from drinking from it because of their action of innovation and changing the religion. So we should know that this is a serious matter, that this Hawd is a very great thing. It is one of the great favors that Allah has given to His Prophet and it is of the bounties that the followers of Muhammad would also enjoy. And we hope that we will enjoy such, but we may prevent ourselves from such enjoyment if we uh, allow ourselves to fall into such actions that will place us amongst those people who would look like we are from the followers of Muhammad وسلم, and he would call for us to be allowed to enter but we would, they would be pushed away from him and they would not be allowed to approach the Hawd and they would not be allowed to drink from it in that day when the thirst of the people will be shadeed it will be very severe and there will be no drinking place for those people who are pushed away from it Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk if there are any questions or comments or corrections, 
Uh, in the next few moments, inshallah, we'll take them before salat. Now, in English, you may spell it H A U D or H A W D. Yani, it's spelled Ha Wow Bad Hold. You may spell it with U or W, either way. Now, Naam. Dwellers? Did he see any of the dwellers of hellfire and paradise? Yes, he did, of course. And there are hadiths describing such, where he mentioned in more detail what he saw. In the hadith of Al-Mi'raj wal Isra, Isra wa Mi'raj, and also in other hadith, he mentioned the inhabitants of the hellfire and described them, and the inhabitants of the paradise and described them, and some of the things that they would be punished with, or the others that would be rewarded with, and so on. Now. <laughs> does it mean that they were already people who were punished or does it mean he was sent into the future? No, people were not already punished in the hellfire. But people are already assigned to the hellfire. And Allah already knows who would be in there. And Allah made him to be able to see such. As for the punishment, before Yawm Qiyamah, the punishment before Yawm Qiyamah is the punishment in the grave. The people yani, who would be punished in the grave for whatever, from the non-Muslims for sure, and even from the Muslims, if they committed certain sins or innovations or whatever, there's also punishment in the grave, which is very terrible, but not the punishment in the hellfire. The punishment in the hellfire will be after the resurrection. But the Prophet ﷺ was made to see, as an honor from Allah, he was able, he was allowed to see Yani, some of the things in the paradise and some of that which is in the hellfire. Naam. Naam. The Prophet saw him in his, saw the angel Jabril in his original form. He saw him more than once. He saw him in his original form and he saw him in other than his original form. Sometimes he used to come in the form of one of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, as a human being and he also saw him in his original form Naam and he described his form Naam the Prophet ﷺ described the punishment of some, some of the people in hellfire but of course the, the actual punishment in hellfire was not taking place at that time because the resurrection didn't take place yet the major resurrection, the minor resurrection is when the person dies and they are tested in the grave and they may be punished in the grave but the major resurrection didn't take place yet and therefore no people entered their place in the paradise or in the hellfire at that point yet but the Prophet ﷺ was made to see what will be by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was made to see what will be. Now, to prove the possibility of time travel. The Prophet ﷺ was sent into the future to, to, sh- to prove that it can be done. 
Yani, someone uh, might say, it, it's more proper to say, if someone wants to use such an argument, it's more proper to say that the Prophet ﷺ, seeing that which will happen in the future, seeing the coming of Isa salam, the descending of Isa and what would happen and things in paradise or whatever and the scenes on the day of resurrection what would happen his seeing such a thing someone might say I am not saying but they might say that this is a proof that someone can go into the future and see in the future but they shouldn't say that he was sent in order to prove such based on what? how are we saying? that he was sent Allah showed him the things of the future in order to prove to people that it's possible to travel into the future? No, he was shown those things in order to give this information, to reveal this information to his ummah so that they would have an idea about the things of the next life. That it would be an encouragement them to seek the paradise and it would be a, a, a warning from the hellfire. The, the things that the Prophet ﷺ described of the paradise are an encouragement, enticement a motivation for the people who believe that those things are true to obey Allah and to follow the Prophet ﷺ and to try to seek the pleasure of Allah. And the scenes of the hellfire, they are a warning and a threat to help the people to refrain from those things which earn the displeasure of Allah and the punishment of Allah. But to say that the purpose for him seeing such was in order to prove that yani at some time in our time that people would want to prove that you can travel into the future and that's why he was saying and that's belittling such a great event. That's belittling it. And in any case, even if it wasn't belittling it, we don't have any proof that, it, that this was the purpose of it. Is there any proof in the Qur'an or in the Sunnah that it was for this purpose? And the person should say then, that this, they might say that this is a proof that someone can go into the, into the future. And it's, someone can be shown the things of the future. The prophets were shown things of the future. That's uh, well known by permission of Allah who controls time and dimensions and everything in the universe that's easy for Allah but if they think they can do it on their own that they have some power and we will do such and so and so this is the attitude of the kafir al-mutakabbir the one who is proud, proud because of his knowledge and he thinks that he can do something without permission from Allah and outside of the will of Allah and outside the authority of Allah but if Allah allows anyone to do such it will only be by permission from Allah they cannot do it except by permission from Allah and if Allah allowed it there is some wisdom for it his allowing the Prophet to see such the wisdom of it is very clear there may be more wisdom but the obvious reason is for such and Allah knows best uh, this is the last question unless there is any comment from the brothers or any correction this question came from the sisters Assalamu alaikum wa alaikum salam it has recently been brought to our attention that some attributes or names which we formerly learned were those of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are in fact falsely attributed to him. Will you please name a few and explain the origin of this grave error? May Allah reward you. <laughs> uh, I don't know which ones came to your attention so that you can say they are falsely attributed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I don't know. But I will say this, um, that certainly some people attribute names or characteristics to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala falsely, yani without any basis in the Qur'an and Sunnah. And the, the rules concerning Asma wa Sifat are many. We mentioned one of them today, Al-Isbat, to affirm whatever Allah affirmed for Himself and what the Prophet affirmed for Him. That means any name or characteristic that we want to attribute to Allah, we should make sure that first, yani, it is the affirmation of what Allah has affirmed. Yani this is 
maybe more clearly stated in the rule of Asma wa Sifat called at tawqifiyah that everything, tawqifiyah means that everything rests or stops at the proof from Quran and Sunnah. Yani you cannot name Allah or describe Allah with anything except that you first stop at the Quran and the Sunnah and see if there's a proof or evidence for it. Otherwise we should not use such. So I don't know which name specifically the sisters came to know but um, there are many descriptions that have been uh, given to Allah such as the people saying that Allah is everywhere and Allah didn't say that He is everywhere. There is no proof for such in the Quran or Sunnah. Um, and such as those who said that Allah is the divine mind uh, with it, which there is no proof for such that Allah is the divine mind. He didn't say such. The Prophet didn't make us to know such so we shouldn't say such things. And other such type of descriptions. Perhaps uh, there are some names that might be reported in the uh, books of some of the scholars like um, I think Ar-Rashid has been mentioned in the unauthentic hadith that's reported in the Sunan of At-Tirmidhi it has been, rem- it has been mentioned there the, the 99 names of Allah example like Rashid <laughs> now <laughs> Alhamdulillah they sent to us uh, some example um, Ar-Rashid has been reported in the hadith of At-Tirmidhi uh, and that hadith is not authentic it, there is a hadith which lists it says that Allah has 99 names or 100 less 1 and then it lists those names 99 names that hadith is not authentic and not all of what is reported in it are from the names of Allah though most of them are of the names of Allah but not all of them and one of them is Ar-Rashid and also the sisters reminded me of An-Nur Allah is Nur al-Samawati wal-Ard but as for An-Nur itself as one name this name Nur al-Samawati wal-Ard is Murakkab it is a combination and this is one of the types of names that are attributed to Allah uh, when there are two expressions coming together to form a name like Dhul Jalali wal Ikram and so on uh, as for An-Nur as an individual expression or word being attributed to Allah it's reported in that hadith but it doesn't seem to be confirmed by the Quran or by the Sunnah and some of the scholars mentioned it as amongst those names which are not confirmed for Allah in any case uh, in Sahih Muslim the hadith is similarly reported but it doesn't mention a listing of the names the listing of the names is mentioned in the footnote in the translation of Sahih Muslim in English and some people mistakenly believe that that hadith was from Sahih Muslim because it's in the book it's in the footnote the hadith itself that Allah has 100 names less 1 or 99 names is in Sahih Muslim, it is authentic but the listing of those names is in the footnote and that hadith is from the Sunan of At-Tirmidhi and it is not authentic so in any case the important thing we should try to look in the books of the scholars and particularly examine carefully that which is mentioned in the Quran and in the uh, authentic hadith that which Allah has attributed to himself and what the Prophet wasallam has attributed to him and affirm those things and avoid those which we are doubtful until we can confirm such. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashadu an la ilaha ila anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaykum.